Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Yep. So Jeff and Christine, I thought I was thinking that I met you first when I was in middle school, but it was in high school. The last couple of years I was in high school when you joined the, the team serving at Tillman Hospital. And um, even though we only had a, a couple of years, uh, you really became an important part of my my own growing up, my life. You were you guys spoke into my life and uh, it's really good to have you on the podcast today. So welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. It's Very good nice. to be here. Yeah. So just to start us off, could you please introduce yourselves and give us a picture of your lives in East Africa? Well, we grew up um, in a small town in Oregon. Um, I studied IT. Christine trained as a nurse and we were married in 1986. And knowing at that time that we were both called into cross-cultural ministry. And in 1987, we applied to World Gospel Mission and were accepted um, to serve with World Gospel Mission at Tenwick Hospital in Kenya, Africa. And But before we went, one of the things I wanted to do was to get my bachelor's degree in computer science. Up to that point, I only had an associate's degree. And so we went back to school. I went back to school and Christine <laughs> worked and we finished preparing for the field. And we moved to Kenya in 1990, along with a one-year-old. And three years later, our son was born at Tenwick Hospital. And uh, we had 21 wonderful years of ministry serving in Kenya at Tenwick Hospital and the surrounding communities. And there at Tenwick, Christine served in the faculty and the staff of the School of Nursing. Um, I served in the IT department for the first 12 years. I was the IT department, um, Mm -hmm. but worked myself out of a job. And our goal in ministry throughout those years at Tenwick was to work ourselves out of jobs, to be able to bring Kenyans behind us to fill those roles that will give them an opportunity to serve, but also to be more involved in the ministries and the community that God had around us. So throughout our years in Kenya, we were involved in church ministry, and uh, this was a great opportunity for us to connect um, with the communities, the people, building relationships, and sharing the light of Christ as we served to the people there, served the people there. But in 2010, after 20 years or so serving in Kenya, we began to see the Lord was preparing us for a change. We were moving ahead with um, mentoring young Kenyan professionals into our roles. But during this time, we felt a strong urge to start really listening um, as the Lord had started to stir what we call the winds of change. Mm -hmm. Throughout this time, we kept ourselves in a listening posture keeping our ears open to hear what his leading might be for the future, not knowing what it was, we were willing to be obedient, but really wanted to be for sure um, of what that calling might be. And it was, it was several months of this process of just listening and feeling those winds of change, talking with people, 
And after considering several options, we came to know God was inviting us to a new place to leave Kenya and join him in what he was doing in Uganda, which is right next door to Kenya, where WGM also had a work. It didn't necessarily make sense to us, but we knew that we knew that we knew God was leading us out of Kenya, the land that we loved so much, into a new land that we knew we would learn to love. And so we left Kenya in 2011 and spent a year in the United States and then moved to begin the ministry, serving with the WGM team in Uganda in 2012. So by then, both of our kids were living in the U.S., university and beyond. And so uh, we went to Uganda, just the two of us. And there we were involved in working with the church, in women's ministries, in community health work and training, um, university student ministries, and then uh, in mission leadership as well. And again, throughout our years in Africa, God stirred our hearts and as Jeff said, we learned to listen. That's something that's just been kind of a part of our, our DNA as a couple is to really just listen to the Lord. And we call it going into our listening posture, not implying that we weren't listening all the time, but that we, we have a focused time of listening. And um, it was in early 2018, late 2017, early 2018, that we felt within our spirits, again, that God was stirring the winds of change, as we call it, um, and that we needed to be in our posture of listening and um, seeking to discern what his next invitation might be for us. And so while we were waiting to hear something specific, Jeff began preparing the team there in Uganda for a leadership change, looking at different leadership models and just saying, you know, we don't know how long we'll be in this role. And, and the Lord just says, seems to be saying, this is the time that we need to prepare for something different. It was in 2019 that he led us to understand that um, he was inviting us into the new role that we have now, the area member health leaders for World Gospel Mission, um, for missionaries serving in Africa. And so it was later that year that we relocated to live in Marion, Indiana, and left our life of 30 years, our day-to-day -day life of living in Africa and transitioned to the U.S. So again, even though this was a huge, major transition, we felt like the Lord had been preparing us for this change, just as he had all of those before us. Mm. Yeah, Jeff and Christine, y'all have, you've, you've thrown us a great curveball right here. I'm not going to ask what I was going to ask previously, because you guys just got through talking about something that every person probably listening to the podcast today uh, deals with, and that is the need to hear the Lord and to have focused times of listening, you called it, and putting yourself in a posture of listening. And it, like you said, Christine, it's not, it's not like you're not walking and talking with Jesus throughout the day, but this becomes those, those pivotal point type listening. I want y'all to talk a little bit about how you guys do that. I know you would never prescribe what people need to do in order to hear the Lord, but some people, all of us, you know, uh, at one time or another struggle with whether or not are we hearing God correctly. And so I'm not asking y'all to tell us how to hear God correctly, but just simply describe what it's been like for you guys, because it's obvious this is a high value of yours. And it's obvious that uh, your confidence in how the Lord's leading you would even take you out of 21 years in Kenya and move you over to Uganda, probably against some of your better like, oh, we just love Kenya. We want to stay here. Why don't you talk to us about yes. how you have practiced posturing yourself for listening in those focused times. Sure. 
So it's just something, like I said, that's been a part of our life as a couple. It was a part of my family life growing up. And we would we would take times for discernment. What is God inviting us to do with some of our nomenclature that we've used in our marriage? So for us, that means opening ourselves to the Lord, being willing to accept change. Sometimes it means that we need to be praying what we what is called in some um, religious traditions, pray for the prayer of indifference. And that doesn't mean that we're indifferent to everything, but what it means is we're indifferent to any option. We, we are not going to set our own agenda and say, God, please lead us to Uganda. We're going to say, Lord, you're leading us. So for us, that's praying to where we are really indifferent to our own will and say, God, we want your will to, to be done, to be known, to be shown. So we call that, along with others, um, praying the prayer of indifference. Mm. or praying the prayer for indifference, I should say. And then we can get to the point where we can pray indifferently. Lord, we're open to anything. We'll go wherever you invite us to go. We'll do whatever you invite us to do. And actually, that was important for us pre-marriage even, um, because I had definitely felt a sense of the call of the Lord to be a missionary nurse in a foreign land, so to speak. And um, to work in a hospital setting. Jeff trained in IT. This is back in the mid 70s. I mean, mid 80s. Sorry. It's <laughs> older than we were. I felt the call in the 70s, but together. Um, so by now, then we're in the mid 80s. And computers weren't a thing in everybody's home and everyone's office yet. And so every mission agency he checked with was all like, yes, we really need an IT guy. We're really praying about how we're going to get computers in our home office come to Seattle, come to Texas, come to Boston, come to wherever. And um, he felt like Jesus really said, go somewhere else, go cross-culturally. So when we were contemplating marriage, I told him, I said, I can't answer. I have to hear from Jesus first because I'm called to be a hospital missionary nurse and you're called to do IT. And I don't see how the two are going to serve in the same location. Yeah. And so we, we pray, he pray. I mean, I said I would pray. He was patient and said, fine. And so I prayed and the Lord spoke to me and said, your call is to me. You're called to follow Jesus. You're called to be my disciple. You're called to help others know how to do what I command us all to do. I will lead you different places and I will lead you into different roles, but your call will never change. So you can go with Jeff where I am leading you together because he also is called to be my disciple and my follower. And he knows that very well. Mm-hmm. So I said that to Jeff and Jeff smiled and laughed. And he said, that's exactly what Jesus told me when I said, Lord, she's called to be a missionary mm-hmm. nurse in a rural hospital. I mean, in a mission hospital somewhere, I don't see how it work can do. And the Lord spoke mm-hmm. the exact same words to him. Mm-hmm. So Jeff knew he could go be a car mechanic or he could be an accountant or he could do anything wherever that, whatever that hospital setting needed. So that came because we were indifferent, Lord, what do you want? We want what you want. If you're not calling me to be a hospital nurse, okay, but what do you want? So that's just been a pattern for us of of laying it before the Lord and patiently waiting till we do here. And then asking him for confirmation so that we know that it's not, uh, that our will didn't get in the way or just our interest or 
just because we feel like we need the relief of having a decision made. So then Jesus always so sweetly brings us confirmation through his word, through other people um, in different ways. And that's an important point that you just alluded to there at the end um, in our journey has been how God, out of our listening, putting ourselves in that posture, part of that posturing is listening through others, others that God has spoken to and wants to speak truth to us, um, allowing others to um, speak into us. Like uh, during the time that we were in transition, felt like we were being called out of Kenya and we were in that period of, of wondering where it would be. We knew it was definitely away from Tenwick Hospital. We had no idea. It could have been another place in Kenya. It could have been Sudan or Uganda. And we placed ourselves in a pos- that posture and c- continued to look for ways God would show it to us through his word, whether it's spoken, whether it's written whether it's through someone else. And um, as we pulled together, pulled aside one night um, during that time, and he drew us to, God drew us to his word, a passage in scripture that meant a lot to us. And I'm trying to remember which one was that. Genesis 12, one and two, where Abraham's being told, you know, leave your country, leave your people. And I'm going to go to a place that I will show you. And through circumstances of a, of a, pastor's conference that meeting that night, the Lord clearly showed that it was to remain in East Africa while that eliminated any other countries outside of East Africa, but leave your country, that passage of scripture, leaving the country basically said we weren't staying in Kenya. So we really knew at that point it was either Sudan or Uganda. And the story of Abraham just plays out the the travels around that part of the world and that travel, that journey to get where God wanted him to go laid out perfectly in a map of East Africa as you go from north to south, east to west. Interesting. It was exactly of moving to Uganda, which would be the promised land for God mm-hmm. had for yeah. us. And the next day in talking with the church, AGC church leader there in Kenya, we asked him about it and said that this is what we're leading, what we feel the Lord is leading us to, to go to Uganda. He just smiled and said, you know, the Lord revealed revealed that to me mm. um, weeks ago, but yet he said, no, it's not your place to tell them. Let me speak to them. So for us, because someone else was listening to the Lord, because we were listening to the Lord and putting ourselves out there to listen to others, um, the Lord really showed us the next, what the next step is. So that listening posture has been so um, important for us. And played out. That. Jeff yeah. also brought up an important point that we don't go there alone. Like we always bring other people into it. We yeah. have, you know, a community of prayer warriors mm-hmm. and prayer mm-hmm. supporters, and we always bring them into it to pray with oh, us, to help us discern and listen. So you guys were on the field for 30, nearly 30 years. Y'all surely had a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. So some ups and downs. One of the, one of the stories is that we were at the hospital at a time of a malaria epidemic. Mm-hmm. in the area and those came and went but this particular epidemic followed a prolonged drought mm-hmm. so the people were there was a lot of malnutrition in the area and then malaria um, season came and many people got sick their immune systems were already weakened their nutrition they couldn't you know stop the destruction to their blood cells and such that comes with with malaria and so many people were dying And especially there was an unprecedented number of pregnant women or women that had just delivered that were dying at our hospital. 
And in those days, people wailed when a family member or a neighbor passed away. And our house on the mission compound was not so far from the hospital, but what we could hear the wailing. And I just remember, it still touches me. I still remember one afternoon I was home from work and from the hospital in the nursing school and was sitting outside our home in the shade of a little patio area. And the wailing started up again. And I just wept before the Lord. And I said, God, why are we here? Like, what can we do? This is just too much. We can't feed everyone. We can't improve the nutrition of every child in the area. We can't save everybody. We can't even grieve with everyone um, that's grieving. We can't even go to all the funerals that we're being invited to attend. So what are we supposed to do? (laughs) Why us? Why here? Why now? And um, I shared that with Jeff and we just kind of sat in the moment of grief and loss. And together we just sensed the Lord say to us, you're not here to feed everyone. You're not here to save everyone. You're not the savior. You're not the provider. That's my job. Mm -hmm. You aren't here to do anything for everyone. I'm the only one that does everything and everyone. That's my job. You are here to love just one at a time. Love them well. Be fully engaged with them. Attend to them. Love them well. And then when they have been loved well, they in turn will be able to go out and love someone else well. And then those people will each love someone else well. That helped us a great deal. We still grieved. We still cried. Mm -hmm. But we understood again who God is and who we are, and what's our role. One story real quickly, you know, post-election violence, which so many Mm. missionaries encounter being present in countries where there's struggles in the political system. And we had our share during the years we were in Kenya. And we learned some things in that time when we were beyond ourselves. We learned that communication with each other and teammates is vital in difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, there was attacks and assaults going on in, in the broader community around where Tenwick was. And it was important for us living on a compound that we needed to be in good communication with each other. And so some of the things we learned during that time, as we look back, even though it was a difficult time, is we need to talk and listen. We need each other and to process together, to plan together, and to commit those difficulties to the Lord together, checking in with each other. These are, it's so important. We do need each other in those difficult times. We can't do it alone. We need God, but we need each other. Our experience is no different than so many others that have had difficult experiences. We need to always never minimize someone else's experiences being, well, it's not as bad as ours, or, you know, it didn't impact them as much, but accepting that a bad experience is a bad experience. An experience that's traumatic for me may not be traumatic for the other and likewise. And so we need to be able to listen, communicate, and attend to each situation and each missionary being compassionate, maintaining good self-care with soul care as well of ourselves and with others. So that community aspect has helped us in so many of those things of getting through the difficulties Mm -hmm. that we faced during those years in in, um, Africa. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. And some of those situations that, Jeff, that you were just referring to of the tribal violence was pretty intense. 
Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. I mean, it, it was uh, the the country was going through a transition to a multi-party democracy. There was allegiance down tribe alliance to the parties. So that is such a part of their culture is allegiance. And that's one gr- strength from their culture that we are losing here is the mm-hmm. loyalty to, I mean, community, mm-hmm. the community aspect that we're loyal to each other. But that became an impetus for some of that violence that took place. But. And I think something that helped us as as newer missionaries, that was our first term on the mm-hmm. field when that extreme mm-hmm. was happening. And um, Silas, your parents were so key in helping yep. us. Yep. And one of the things that they taught us and some of the other missionaries that had been there longer than us was to learn to say what we need in a right way. Me, I'm, I like to be pretty strong and a lot of things don't shake me or whatever, but I needed, I learned that I need to say, I'm afraid now. Now is when I need to, to move to a safer place or to say, um, I just need to know that you know where I am. So if something happens, you know where I am or to talk to other, other, you know, colleagues there and just say, I need to hear how you're doing. I want to know what your heart is saying. And so, so to be able to say what we need helps others then feel free to be able to say what they need or what they're feeling or what they're experiencing. And in that way, we can support one another. I couldn't presume that every other mother of children, or I was pregnant at the time, that every other pregnant lady was feeling like I was feeling about the situation. I needed to know what they were thinking. I needed to say to the community, I have to have a plan for delivering this baby. If we're told to evacuate, I have to know who's going to help me deliver this baby if I deliver in route somewhere. Or I need you to know that I actually can't physically walk across the border at Tanzania. I'm going to have to do the Mary Joseph thing and have a donkey going with us, or I'm going to have to um, seek refuge in some of my Kenyans' friends' homes because I don't actually have the stamina at nine and a half months pregnant to walk from Tenwick to Tanzania or whatever. So it was just those kinds mm-hmm. of things of saying we need each other, yeah. who's there for me, how, and we responding to other people saying that as well. And so what's important prior to these events um, happening for us, we were building community together as missionaries. So it's important that that community is built day to day so that when you do encounter the, the rough roads, when you encounter those experiences that are stressing you well beyond um, you what should. you feel like you can manage, you have a strong community there with you. And uh, it's just, again, we can't overemphasize the importance of that in the challenges faced throughout these 30 years. That community was very important. Community with the father, of course, but also with one another. How has your... Quaker background influenced your, your resiliency. One aspect is that in as we were growing up in our um, congregations of the, the Quakers, the French church, when the church would have business meetings, the way that we would make decisions is by consensus rather than voting. And so what we learned through that is that each person's voice and um opinion or their input is equally valuable. You know, it wasn't like the pastor would just sway everybody or the the clerk of the meeting, as we call them, or other. Um, Everyone 
we always took time to listen quietly, silently, center down and ask Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit, to speak to us, to guide us. We want to do what he wants done here as we're representing him, where we are his hands, his feet. He's actually to live his life through us in this community. So how do we do that? Well, so learning to listen to others and we might hear, I mean, I can remember as a child talking to my parents after just being fascinated with uh, after a business meeting that, you know, I was so sure everybody was going to decide option A because we heard four or five people in a row speak that they felt like that's how the Lord is starting. And then one dear gentleman or woman might stand up and say, I've heard what my brothers and sisters have said, and I am not in disagreement, but my spirit is not settled. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. the Lord is asking us to <clears throat> consider either another option or consider this over a longer period of time or something. We learned in that the value of listening to everyone, giving everyone a chance to speak into it, to give input. But we also learned the value of not letting ourselves feel feel pressured of rushing into a decision. We have to decide this today because we want to move forward. That's not a part of our individuals might feel that, (laughs) but we don't carry that into the course of the the meetings for discernment, we would call them, Mm -hmm. because sometimes Jesus' timeline is different than ours. And so if if all hearts were not in agreement that we accept option A, then it's deferred and no decision is made. And then the clerk of the meeting will sense when is the next time God (laughs) wants us to, to come together over this, and he will then call a meeting and whomever is available will come and discern. So um, I think two valuable things in that obviously is how is listening, taking time to listen, quieting yourself, but also that everyone is equal. When we come to the decision-making table, every voice is equal. Everyone has a seat at the table and their input is equally valued. And then don't rush, wait until all hearts are clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so true. And one of the other aspects I thought of, Quaker background that focuses a lot on um, the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines that have been instrumental for us. And we've seen that play out over the years and trying to, we recognize that a lot of people don't even, we've run into other missionaries and others, other believers that don't understand the term spiritual disciplines. They don't know how to practice them. They don't know what all the spiritual disciplines are. But even the simple things of centering down, which is a Quaker term, again, mm-hmm. of taking time to be quiet and listen, um, again, has played into our decisions through the years. The discipline of solitude, S- of silence, silence mm-hmm. of rest and all those disciplines, but meditation. And if we're not strengthening our relationship with um, the Father through Jesus Christ by the Spirit, then how can we expect to be effective in the ministries that we are um, involved in. And that's through the spiritual disciplines of taking that time to be quiet, taking the time to read and study and listen. And it's counterproductive. I'm a task-oriented person. So solitude and silence, I, it's been a tough journey for me. But yet having um, that impact in my life at an early age, particularly when I was in high school, our pastor, um, wrote a book that was very instrumental for me on that journey and that celebration of discipline mm-hmm. um, by a, a man named Richard Foster, who that, that book was just incredibly um, important for me in laying the foundation of the importance and applying that um, Quaker standard of, of practicing the disciplines. Um, so the disciplines are so vitally important. 
I think for resiliency, as we talk about it, um, is making sure that we're in the right place in that relationship. And how can we do it other than practicing some of those disciplines? Just so blessed with this, Jeff and Christine. What's something that you guys would go back and do over again? Well, you know, thinking back through, that's a good, that was a good exercise for us to think back <laughs> through. And I think the thing that stands out the most, um, at first anyway. It came to mind right away. Yeah. I mean, we thought of a lot of others. And uh, what comes to mind right away is language proficiency, mm. um, learning the language, language and culture, language and relationships. They're kind of tied together in so many ways. Um, if you can get to uh, the heart level, the heart language of those that as a missionary, as a global worker, we're going to serve, then that takes you to a whole nother level of getting into the the depth of their very being. When we first arrived and we began Swahili study, we met the expectation of studying for three months. And that was enough. Um, we've been more in Kenya more than a decade. And we were in the rural home of, a Ken- of some Kenyan friends. He looked at us and he said to us, as we were using a translator to talk to his wife who didn't know English, this gentleman who we felt was our Kenyan father, you have been, he said to us, you've been in our community long enough. You should be able to speak our language. Mm. We should be able to expect to hear you speak to us in our language and we can understand one another in our language. Very powerful to us. I mean, it wasn't intended to um, Chide chide us or anything. He was just challenging us. Yeah. And that has stuck with us. He was right. Mm. Absolutely. You know, being there. And that was probably 12 to 15 years after we landed on the ground in Kenya. And we still weren't fluent um, in the local language, even though we were somewhat fluent in Swahili. It mattered that we couldn't talk directly to his wife mm. without going through someone else. It mattered to him that we didn't consider it important to do to consider their language, their communication. And that was wrong. We'd do it over in a heartbeat. And then one other one real quick um, along with that is to be more intentional in protecting and maintaining the rhythms of rest. Mm -hmm. Um, Rest is so vitally important. And this was especially true for us in Kenya in times when the institution claimed more of us than we intended to give. (laughs) And not only was fun sacrificed, but sometimes it was sleep that was sacrificed and so was Sabbath keeping. So was solitude and silence it often seemed impossible because of the busyness. We know for us, though, there are important rhythms that help us work out of rest, working out of rest instead of working into rest mm-hmm. and working, resting from work or working from our rest. That is so important for us. And we sacrificed it sometimes. Goes back to doing life with God, not for God. And that's a lesson that we've learned um, over the last couple of years, particularly in our later years in Uganda, that um, that's what it's about. It's doing life with him. And so often we can become focused on doing life for God. Um, and we forget about the relationship with him. And one of those is taking that time to rest. Jeff and Christine, would you pray, pray a prayer of blessing and impartation over us, over our listeners that we would be people who, yes. who who listen well and are responsive to what we hear. Yes. Mm-hmm. Father God, we thank you that you are God with us, that you delight in being with your people, that you even offer us that covenantal relationship that if if we let you be our God, if we choose you to be our God, 
you will choose us to be your people and you will remain with us. Mm. And through um, the work of your own son, Jesus Christ, you have made it possible that we actually can abide in you and you can abide in us. And so we thank you, Father, for the gift of your spirit that is with us, that can interpret your word to us so that we know what you're saying to us. And we're Mm -hmm. so grateful that that's who you are. And it draws us to you. It helps Mm -hmm. us to love you. And then as we love you, to want more of you, to know you more, and to, to be ones who sit and listen to you. So Lord, we pray, would you give us ears as your body to hear you? So God, we just pray your blessing of listening, of hearing clearly, and then of knowing how to move with you forward as you lead us. In the precious name of your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. That does it for this episode of Resiliency. You can follow us on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast. And so for now, I'm Silas West, and thank you for listening to Resiliency. Resiliency.